if you could turn to two texts this evening, uh, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and Titus chapter 2. We continue our series in the family, as you turn there in your copy of God's Holy Word, uh, to Proverbs 31 will be our first reading. We continue our series in the family, and we continue our sub-series on marriage, and we look more specifically at the role of the, of the wife to be a holy helpmeet uh, to her husband. And so we get an understanding of that uh, a bit more fully, I trust, as we consider Psalm 31, I'm not Psalm, Proverb 31, verse 10, and uh, following all the way, and then to Titus chapter 2. So as you turn there, please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word, Proverbs 31, verse 10 to the end. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ship, ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates." Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Please turn to Titus chapter 2. I'll read the first five verses. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you to the preached word. And we pray, Father, that you would enable your minister to preach the word of God in a manner that is suited to the congregation, 
that would best lift their thoughts to Christ and best have them understand their duties and obligations to the Lord, done not for the sake of salvation, but instead as the fruit of their salvation, that they would be blessed in the Lord. And Father, how the minister needs the help of the Holy Ghost to do this. For without the Holy Ghost, uh, the minister can change no hearts. And so we pray that the Spirit of God would rest on the entirety of the congregation, no matter how old or young we are, and that you would be glorified, that men and women would know their place in the home, and that they would uh, order it in such a way to bring glory to God, that the word of God would not be blasphemed, but instead God our Father would be blessed and praised. And so we pray that you would help me speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And we ask this for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember um, not too long ago being a bit bewildered uh, in school by this thing that was called home economics. It was a class that was not too popular even in my days, but uh, it is defined as, and I had to look this up, as the art and science of home management. And in prior days before it came into full disrepute, Home economics curriculum included uh, teaching how to cook, sew, garden, give childcare, but also, interestingly enough, and often overlooked, even managerial tasks in the home like doing taxes and managing finances. Interestingly, part of the impetus for these classes was to teach women at one time that housework could actually be intellectually fulfilling. That was the design. Now, there are many problems with the origin of secular home economics in schools, but it did reflect something of the understanding of the division of the role of sexes in the home. The wife managed the home, and in the home, primarily, predominantly, and the husband worked outside of it to provide for the home. And under the husband's leadership, husband and wife worked side by side to manage the home as co-laborers. Of course, today, as I've alluded to, home economics has pretty much fallen away. It's very unpopular, and now it's designed to be egalitarian for both men and women. So it isn't uh, seen as specifically for women anymore. And what I want to say and show you today out of the word, which you've already heard, is that though our society's view on home economics may come and go, the principles in the word of God of true religion are timeless. And they teach us that wives are helpmeets in the home. That wives are predominantly homemakers, tending to their home, and unlike sort of the caricature of that picture, they are in many ways to manage the home under their husband's leadership. And the sad and sorry state of things is that the world has told women to be ashamed of this idea, to be utterly ashamed as though being a homemaker is something of little value, instead of something that they ought to master and have skill in, right? You see in, in Proverbs 31, this is a woman to be praised, one that can master domestic duties instead of being ashamed of them. There is a certain kind of skill in raising children, in cooking meals, in tending to the home, to seeing even to the finances, if this is where she has skill and gifts, that ought to be a matter of great praise from her husband, who is able to labor outside of the home because he knows that the home is well tended to. And together as a team then, the home, the children, and everything is well ordered because of the wife's role in the home. And her children are blessed. And generations are blessed because of her focus and her skill here. Far from being ashamed then, 
Proverbs 31 says a wife must be praised. Ladies, what do you read of in Proverbs 31? If the wife that looks well, and what are the words? She looks well to the ways of her husband or her household. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. To be a homemaker is a matter of praise in the Bible. And it's not a matter of shame. And it's the world and the devil who will try to subvert that and twist that, ladies. But what I want you to also see is that more than just being a homemaker, right? Home economics was taught in this country, I think, probably from the 19th century, if not earlier. But more than a homemaker, what a woman is called to be is holy. She's called to be holy. And that is something home economics never taught. But this is actually meant to be the first lesson for a wife, that her praise begins not with her family, but with the Lord. This is the distinguishing mark of the Christian wife. Because homemakers, and my my mom was a homemaker, the homemakers are found among pagan women, aren't they? But the distinguishing mark of the Christian wife is that she is holy. The Christian wife emblazons these words in her heart first. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And her praise is of God and not of man. As in the rest of the Proverbs and the 128th Psalm, the fear of the Lord is where she begins. And so our theme is tonight, the wife as holy helpmeet and homemaker, the wife as holy helpmeet and homemaker. Three heads tonight. The first is the wife as holy, second, the wife as helpmeet, and third, the wife as homemaker. First, the wife as holy. And just so you understand how I'm going to structure and use the two texts, this is not going to be an exposition specifically on these two texts in totality. What I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to use Titus 2 for its doctrine. It will form essentially the backbone of the sermon, but I will enfold Proverbs 31 into its doctrines for practical application. And so with that, consider the the flow of Titus 2. Titus 2 considers Christians of differing ages, sexes, and vocations. And Paul says at the beginning that, uh, that uh, he speaks those things which are proper to sound doctrine. And I think maybe we need to understand this, especially if we live in systematic theology books, is that uh, sound doctrine is practical and not just intellectual. Sound teaching has something to do with your life and not just your intellect. And this text is meant to be corrective to every age and station and vocation. It seeks to correct, and maybe if you look at this text this way, it is helpful. It seeks to correct the particular sins that men and women fall into based on sex and age, right? Um, <clears throat> why does, for instance, Paul tell the aged men to be sober, grave, and etc.? Because they're not prone to be that way in their flesh. This is their calling, right? Uh, second, what you must see to understand this text well is that he is not sort of carving out a niche for the older people, the older man and woman here, but rather these are what the younger members of the sex are to grow into actively in their youth, right? You are to become boys and girls, the young men, the young women, but also the elder man and elder woman. It's not like saying, well, when you're Maybe when you hit 30 years old then, now be sober and grave, right? These are what you need to aspire to and work diligently by the grace of God to become. 
Third, many of these matters are proper to both sexes. Note the likewise here in verse uh, 3. The aged women likewise. What is that? That's like a waterfall progression, isn't it? Which tells them they are to be as the aged men in their conduct in these ways, right? It's not to say men are sober and grave, but then uh, older ladies are not to be that. No, both have to aspire to that. And so there's a bit of a waterfall progression. I think that's helpful. These character qualities flow down from the aged men to the aged women who then impart these things to the younger women. And before we get to a wife's particular duties in her home, then we must focus on her character and conduct in verse 3. And this is the phrase I want to begin with. Behavior as becometh holiness. That's what all women need. That's what all women need. Uh, You must not forget it, ladies. Your first calling is to be holy. That's your very first calling. You cannot, you cannot be anything else a Christian wife has to be if you neglect this. This is the root of it, to be holy unto the Lord. Uh, Whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, whether you are widowed, whatever station in life you are, ladies, you are called to be holy and your behavior then, your, your practice of the faith must becometh holiness. Right? It's not like, and we can get into this sinful mindset. It's like the things of God are for the men folk, but for me, well, I'll do my domestic duties. I don't have to be so concerned with the things of God. That is absolute rubbish. You are called to be just as interested in the things of God and to live a holy life as the men. Our religion is not just for men, it is for men and women both. And so this is your primary responsibility, emblazon it upon your soul. Your primary responsibility before God is not your husband, not your children, but your personal holiness and is not to be neglected. This is actually a rather big problem for ladies who would find the praise typically in the home who are very industrious. They wake up and they think, well, all that I must do right now from the moment I begin is for hearth and home and not for holiness. They think on waking the children, they think on making the breakfast, getting chores done, etc. And these are good things, we're going to get to that. But ladies, you remember Mary and Martha, don't you? Martha was cumbered with much serving, while Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Jesus said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, full of cares, and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Luke 10. This is the first thing you must get straight. I sit as a woman at the feet of Jesus Christ. Ladies, let me just put it this way. Neither your man nor your children nor your busyness can replace your Lord. Your husband, think of it this way. Just actuarial tables being what they are. Ladies, your husband is likely to die before you. Your children are going to leave the home at some point. Your home itself, think of it, the home that you are going to dress up so well with your industry, maybe rubble under a tornado or an earthquake one day. But the good part, Jesus Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. And your walk with the Lord is what is paramount in all of that. Otherwise, you will end up like Job's wife, curse God and die. When these good things are taken away, So you need to keep your eyes fixed upon the Lord. And as I have said, you are no less than men called to be holy. Your roles in the home are different, but you are to be just as holy. 
In that, let me just challenge you, ladies. Learn theology. Learn theology. Be just as interested in theology as the men. What does theology even mean? It means the study of God. It's the study of your Lord. And if you love the Lord, you would study him. You would be captivated by him. Don't just study earthly things. Don't just study homemaker things. Don't just learn how to raise children. You are called to adore and cherish the things of God. And first, where does that begin? It begins with you being captivated by the gospel. You seeing yourself as a sinner in need of divine grace and mercy, as we thought this morning. You must be as your mother in the faith, Lydia. Oh, this woman managed her household well. She managed her business well. But she saw she needed the grace of God above all. And that without Jesus, nothing else really mattered. Her industry profited her nothing if she didn't have the wedding garment that really matters. That takes her to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so in that, in these matters, remember the truth always. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. That doesn't speak of our roles. It doesn't mean that a woman can be a pastor, but it speaks of our standing in Christ, the love Christ has for us, and the salvation we have in the Christ. In Christ, all of us are the same in that. Male, female, Jew, or Greek. Okay. And so then, what you have to see then is all of your wifely duties flow out of holiness. Behavior becoming holiness. What does that mean succinctly then? Right, All of your duties, all of your roles, comes from a life that is consecrated to Jesus. Your life is consecrated to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.15 That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That text applies to women in their roles just as much it applies to us who are men. You are to live a life, and here's where it really, you know, the sort of the legs go to our theology, is holiness is not just this abstract sort of vaporous thing, right? It means that we live a life separated from the world. You are called to be holy as the Lord is holy. And that means, and this is where, again, we're sort of going to be in conflict with the world. This means your life is going to look very different than your worldly peers, And this is especially going to be important in this time in which we struggle with egalitarianism and feminism. The problem for all of us, though, male and female, is that we have our flesh is bothered if our life does not look like the world. All of us have this problem. To live as a Christian, though, beloved, will be very uncomfortable in this world in ways that are great and uh, in ways both great and small. We are going to be the mockery of the world, right? I believe in creation in six days, 24 hours, and that is going to bring the ire of all those I went to school with in computer science. Call me an idiot for that. I don't believe in evolution. That's going to cause uh, all kinds of turmoil with those that uh, I, I work with outside of the church. Friends, these are the ways in which we are called to be holy. We are to follow the Lord. And especially for the doctrine of male headship in a family, right? You're going to be mocked. You're going to be castigated. You are going to be denigrated, women. It's funny, they'll say you are being denigrated, but they'll denigrate you. But what did Peter call the ladies of old? Holy women, right? You see that? There's that that sign again. Holy women who trusted in God, 1 Peter 3, 5. And that must be you, ladies. 
And so what I want to say is, it will be very hard for you to be the woman you are called to be unless you walk very closely to Jesus. Don't neglect your personal walk with the Lord. Don't neglect your personal devotions. Do not neglect growing in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. Again, I'll say it, be a theologian. I mean it, so few ladies today are learning the things of God. But in verse 2, if the calling of aged men is to be sound in the faith, there is a likewise that connects the aged women, isn't it, in verse 3? right? That likewise says that the aged women must be sound in faith. I was very glad to see on Tuesday nights that uh, many of you ladies come to the new institute study. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, Because if the aged women are to be teachers of good things in verse 3, they must have learned good things to impart to the younger ladies. Now, they're not teachers in the church or teachers of men. 1 Timothy 2 is clear that God suffer not a woman to teach publicly, but women are to be able to teach younger women and to teach the children. And so you must have a drive for learning sound orthodoxy to impart the faith to others. And let me encourage you in this, ladies you actually have the greatest influence over the next generation. You really do. The next generation of believers is influenced most heavily by you, ladies. I think on Timothy, right? It was his mother Eunice, a Jewess, a Jewess who taught him the scriptures, wasn't it? And that's who Paul commends, his mother and his grandmother. He commends these ladies, And that man became a minister of God through her labors. You think of other men in history. Think of Augustine. It was his mother, Monica, who pleaded with the Lord for her son. Day and night, night and day, when he would go astray so heinously. And he praised God for her. And what has that woman's ministry done? Bless the entirety of the world. So much of the Protestant Reformation is built on Augustine. And who is at the center of it? He himself would say, it was Monica, my mother. You have such an impact on the entirety of the world, ladies. And don't don't see then that to labor for your children and to be in the home is anything less than excellent and impactful. So what I would say is, ladies, you know, you need to be a disciple of Christ uh, the Bible says also seek this with your husband, 1 Corinthians 14.35, ask of your husband. But in any case, if he is unable or unwilling to do it, you search the scriptures yourself and nurture a hunger to know God. And let it come through a hunger for Christ himself. I, I, I suppose, ladies, you have a hunger for Jesus Christ and a hunger to devote yourself to him if you are in the faith. Think of it this way. This is why this is the first heading. You will do no good as helpmate or homemaker without holiness unto the Lord. You must walk with the Lord. You need to deal with your sins. You need to mortify the sins common to your sex. Consider what you ought to be in holiness from Titus 2, and I'll go over some of this. First, a couple of sins to mortify or put to death in this text. Not to be false accusers, right? This is your holiness. This is what makes you separate from the world, ladies, If you are in Christ, do not be slanderers. What are sadly the stereotypes, gossip and slander? Um, Those are not just stereotypes. And I think you need to listen to the word here. Those are actually things that you must combat specifically, ladies, in the flesh. It's interesting. um, 
Not to be false accusers, the Greek word is diablos, and I think you see where that term goes. It's devilish. It's devilish because, as we even prayed this morning, right, uh, the devil is a liar. He's the accuser. He accuses. Not given to much wine. It's not a stereotype that women in certain times of life can be given over to wine. Drinking wine is no sin, but some women, instead of drowning their sorrows in the Lord, they drown their sorrows in alcohol and the difficulties of life in it. And here are some things to vivify or bring to life, to be sober, right? Here's the thing, ladies, you're not to be frivolous and girly, but you are to yourself have a sense of gravity about you. You are to mature. You're to be discreet. That actually means to be temperate in all things, governed by temperance. You're to be chaste, to be morally pure, not only sexually, right, not to entertain any lusts, but there's a general holiness, a chastity to the Lord. You're to be good, that is to be kind. You are to remember the law of kindness, which governs your tongue. She's no, this word has gone out of fashion. She's no shrew. She's not contentious, but she's known for kindness instead. But how will you be any of those things? And I can go through the list here. How can you be any of those things if you are not seeking after holiness? This is what a life lived separated for God is like. And these virtues, these graces come from Christ himself by your spirit. And so what I would encourage you, ladies, is don't replace your holiness by saying, I am serving my husband and my children. Right? That's not how that's not how the Lord would have you go, right? If you're not doing the first things first, there's really very little value to the Lord of doing the secondary things. If you want, if you want to serve your husband and children well, be holy. Then you can perform your domestic duties. You must seek the Lord's grace for all these things. And then I would say, older ladies, as you grow in these graces, you are called here to impart a knowledge of holy conduct to the younger. You know, there will be seasons in your life, ladies, where, you know, children are gone, uh, domestical duties are fewer, and this is where you have been given room and space in your life by the Lord to teach younger women, if you are yourself a holy woman of God. And younger women, seek out the godly older women in the faith to learn of them, right? Don't learn from the internet and Facebook and your peers there. Instead, learn from those who have walked with the Lord longer than you have, who have raised children. You know, we often pray for older saints in this congregation, at least the session does. And that's because we need to have those we can pattern our lives on, who've walked with the Lord, who've gone through life's trials and difficulties and can counsel us. So find holy women that you may get counsel from, godly, chaste, meek, those who love husband and children, the law of kindness on their tongue, Look for them and learn from them. So much more could be said on this holy conduct of holy women and wives, but understand that wives are first to be holy, consecrated women of God. And so now we can understand that part of her holiness is to be a helpmeet and a homemaker. All right, let's consider the wife as helpmeet. Now you heard in our first sermon on marriage that of the creation of the first wife, Eve, was out of the side of her husband, Adam. And in that text, you find the origin of our word, helpmeet, Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet or suited for him. Now, it's not one word originally. It's become one word, right? And that's just our English vernacular now. But it is a helpmeet is a help who is suited for her husband. 
And who brings the woman to her husband? It is God. And the two of them are made one flesh by God. Adam exclaimed that she is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And that tells you the the nature of the helper. She's very close to the man. Jesus said, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Matthew 19.6. This is how close they are. These two, husband and wife, one flesh. And here's where we have to begin. They journey through life together as the closest companions of all. Malachi 2.14. She is thy companion. She is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. She is very close to you men. And women, you must be very close to him. They are also not just companions for the sake of hobbies. Right? And they're also companions not at cross purposes, which is where marriage breaks down. But they have the very same purpose. They have the very same purpose. Under the husband's leadership, they are to labor for the same things as one flesh. And so the first thing to note, ladies, is that you do not have an agenda different from your husband's. But instead, you have the same agenda, which is to help him in his role. There's no secret agenda that you are working towards. This is, a, I would love to say that even in the Christian church, I haven't encountered this, but there are many ladies who have a secret agenda that is at cross purpose and trying to undermine their husbands. But what does Proverbs 31, 11 through 12 say? You heard it. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. You have to be a lady that her husband trusts, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. This is your calling, ladies, to be one trustworthy, to uh, do your husband good and not evil all the days of your life. I'm glad to say that I trust my wife, not just her chastity, but that she is supportive and she will do good for me and to me. I rest in that why, because she is a holy woman who cares what the Lord thinks. That's why, and let me encourage you men, husbands, it will be to your benefit to make sure your wife has time to grow in the Lord. Whatever you can do to help make sure your wife isn't so overrun with domestic duties that she doesn't have time with the Lord, which she obviously has to prioritize. But if she's feeling the strain and also feels the contention of, I need to get all this done, and I don't know how I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Men, it is in your best interest, be selfish if you have to be, to give her time with the Lord. All that said, what I want to tell you men and wives is you must both be clear on the agenda for your home so that husbands can lead it and provide for it while that wife can help support it. I'll just use my home. Many of you know our family background a bit. Uh, It seemed clear years ago that I had a calling to seek to the ministry. And my wife supported us in that endeavor in great ways. She ran the household. I was away at RPTS and she would take care of the children and shuttle them to and fro. I trusted her. I knew she would get what she needed to get done, done. And we were united in that purpose. She trusted that I would be laboring hard and I would be providing for the family, even at the seminary. We worked together as a team. Now, in no way were we perfect. And I don't think any team of husband and wife are, but we were a team nonetheless for the sake of the Lord's cause. And so wives, here's a question. Do you know your home's priorities? What is it that you're accomplishing in this life as a home? Right? 
Know first the biblical priorities of the home. What's that summarized by? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where it begins. But then you have to have other priorities for your home, all couched under the umbrella of God willing. That phrase. Ask yourself, where is our home going, God willing, in terms of spiritual development, career, education, home life, and so on. I once stayed with a family during a preaching engagement. They had a large ranch and they had cattle and they posted in their home their family's priorities just in their living uh, quarters. Uh, And these are the things they said that they were seeking out for the Lord's blessing and guidance. It's a kind of, uh, I think they put it this way, as a sort of a family vision, what their family was about, God willing. Now, you don't have to formalize something like that by any means. But surely, husband and wife ought to, under the man's leadership, know where they are seeking to go. And men, uh, sometimes this can happen. You can keep your woman in the dark on these things. But she is one flesh with you, and she needs to work with you. And you need to work with her so that she can help. And if you don't know, ladies, where your home is going, if you feel like the the ship is rudderless, don't immediately just be disgruntled. Go ask your husband and maybe have a conference this week together. Sit down and discuss where is our family headed. And you can ask your husband, how can I be a help in accomplishing these goals and help set those goals together? You are his helpmeet. You are his closest counselor. But together you ought to be laboring, not at cross purposes, but together. And that's the calling of the Christian home and marriage. That said, as your husband's holy helpmeet ladies, consider your duties in our text. You are, and this, uh, I think it was the first time I, I heard this and I thought it struck me so well that John Murray, um, on his book on ethics, I think he said, and it, it hit me hard, do you, do you ever consider that love is a commandment? Right? It's not a feeling. Even the Lord says to love, that makes it a commandment. And here it is, ladies, your your love for your husband is not just a sense of feeling. It is actually a commandment from God. Notice in Titus 2 verse 4, you are to love your husbands. You are to love them. You are to love your husbands. And note this order too, it comes before love your children, doesn't it? I mentioned this on our sermon, uh, The Theology and Design for Marriage. A common problem is when women love their children over their husband. That's a common trap you can fall into. Ladies, I will say this will be to your grief. One day, those children are going to leave your home. That's God's design. They are to leave and cleave to their own husband or wife. And if you have evacuated love for your husband in your heart and filled it with just love for them, what will you do? You are going to be so sorrowful on that day and you will be so mournful when they leave, not in that bittersweet sorrow that you have to have when your children leave, but you will like lose your world when they are gone, won't you? Or you'll want to cling on to them. This also happens too much, is that uh, wives, women, mothers will often want to cling on to their children far longer than they should and they will stunt their growth and they will stifle them. And then you will find great loneliness and despair when they go. But what you have to do is first, uh, under Christ, you are to love your husband. He is the one who is one flesh with you. And you need to prioritize them over the children. And vice versa, men, this goes for you. You need to prioritize your wife over your children when it comes to showing love. And second, 
And this flows out of last week's sermon when it comes to respect. Verse 4 also says, you are to be obedient to your own husband. This goes back to that matter of respect. You are not to scoff when he leads, right? You are not to roll your eyes when he talks to you. You are to be supportive unless it is sin that he is leading you in. This is part of your holy walk before Christ. And this is what we don't really appreciate. When we follow the commandments of God and we live as Christ tells us to live, we are living a holy life. Our obedience is unto the Lord. So, what are you to do? You are to listen to what your husband has to say and not ignore him. You are to obey him. And this will be much easier, husbands and wives, when you're both on the same page. And so if his expectations for the home are unclear, you need to go and get expectations set. And men, I think this is something that is very needful for us. Think of how, you know, most of us are working outside the home. Think of how frustrating your workplace is when expectations are unsaid. Right? When suddenly your boss gives you new orders and your day is thrown into disarray and chaos because something has been uh, imagined in their mind that you are going to do that you have never voc- they have never vocalized. What we must not do, husbands, is make our homes the same way. Our expectations must be very clear both for our wives and our children. And so the husbands were in an earlier sermon exhorted to be students of their wives, to dwell with their wives with knowledge, honoring them as the weaker vessel. And so this is part of that, leading and knowledge of our wives. Do they know what our expectations are? Are we constantly changing it on them? I've been guilty of that myself. Something to repent of. But when it comes to the wives, right, their duty is to please their husband. Last time you heard that the wives are to have a care for how she may please her husband, 1 Corinthians 7.34. And so you too, women, are to be a student of your husband in that way. Do you know what pleases him? Do you know the things that would make him happy, the things that he enjoys, right? So you must study your husband and know him and seek to please him. All right. So learn of him. Remember Proverbs 31. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She has a care to bless her husband in her own life, just as the husband has to have a care for her and nourish her and cherish her. And so husbands and wives, let me ask, has your relationship gotten to the point where it is contentious and competitive? When you think of your wife or your husband and this is predominantly for the wives, so I'll address you mostly, is it gotten to the point where you are competing with your husband and everything is contention? That needs to be put away. The husband honors the wife, the wife pleases the husband, both in love. So wives, do you have a care to please your husband? Even if it doesn't please you. This is your calling, ladies. This is your holy walk with the Lord. This is not a good idea to have a happy home, right? You know what the world has its own proverbs, things like this, right? Like happy wife, happy life, things like that. That's not the idea here. This is your walk in holiness. This is your walk as living as Christ's. This is your duty before God. Verse 5 says that the word of God be not blasphemed. What we all have to do is not be cafeteria Christians. You cannot say, I will take the gospel, but as far as my duties before Christ, if I feel that they're not things I'm comfortable with, I'll just leave that at the lunch line, so to speak. I must take it all. I take Christ and I take it all. 
I, I take a holy walk with the Lord. I put myself away and I live for Jesus. And that's why for all of us, but especially you ladies here in this text, your holiness is paramount for being a helpmeet and being a homemaker. You cannot do any of these things unless you are living holiness unto the Lord. And so understanding the wifely duty to be a husband's helpmeet, our final heading is the wife as homemaker. Verse 5 in Titus 2 says, Wives are to be keepers at home. Now, as we consider the practical nature of this exhortation, remember again the truth. And we need to emblazon this, men, women, children, all of us. Religion is practical, not just theological. Religion is not about ceremonies and rites and rituals, right? It's not just even about knowing the right things, but religion is practical. Meaning that our exercise of religion comes and meets our practice. And that's something Reformed churches ought to recover. Practical matters and duties when done by faith in Christ are actually an exercise of religion. Isn't that even how James frames true religion, right? Caring for those who are needy, right? The exercise of religion is religion. We must not believe religion is constrained to worship practices, but we exercise our faith. And so, ladies, this is why the waterfall flows. You are exercising your faith when you are keepers at home. And you have to see it that way. Wives, your care and your management of your home as well, let me put it this way, will be your husband's greatest practical help as his helpmeet as well, as we consider the last two headings. Man is envisioned as a worker out of the home, Psalm 104, 23. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. That's the man's portion while the woman is envisioned to be the keeper of the home. And what that means, ladies, is that the home is the center of your calling if you are a wife. Outside of Christ, your home is the center of your world. Psalm 128, verse 3, which we began our series with. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine, where? By the sides of thine house. And what that means is to be a keeper of the home, it's maybe helpful to understand it by way of its contrast in the Bible, which is 1 Timothy 5.13. The opposite of a keeper at the home is a busybody. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. This is, the, this is the opposite of the homemaker. This is the busybody who's wandering from house to house, who are idle, right? Because they can go house to house, they're idle, and they speak the things they ought not. Think on these vices. Idleness, wandering, being busybodies. Now, idleness is a sin that you can fall into even if you're in your own home. I trust you understand that, right? Um, I think from the time of the television in the home, right? This has been a, a big issue that you can sit and lounge around all day and not be productive, even in the home ladies. And uh, with social media now, if that was television, you can be a busybody in the home too with your phone, right? You can go on social media and be involved in everybody else's life but your family's, right? So being a busybody is no longer constrained from wandering home to home. You can actually be involved in everything and everything else that you ought not be and be absent from your own home. Of course, men have similar faults too. But I want you to continue the contrast. In Proverbs 7 is the opposite of the Proverbs 31 woman. In Proverbs 7.11, we read what she is. She is loud and stubborn. 
Her feet abide not in her house. See, this woman is everywhere but in her home, and she is loud and stubborn because she is rebelling against the home, ultimately is what that is. Now, does this mean, as we consider a homemaker, that a woman, a wife, cannot work outside the home? And that absolutely is false. She can work outside the home. The virtuous woman, you read in Proverbs 31, is industrious. Right, That's her primary thing. She has a kind of strength from the Lord. She's industrious inside and outside her home. But not to the neglect of her home. Never to the neglect of her home. And that's the key, friends. You notice here she is full of domestic duties in Proverbs 31. And in fact, when, when you look at something like this, an ancient text like Proverbs 31, you see how greatly Christianity has advanced the cause of women. These are things that are unheard of in other uh, societies and religion. Their dignity, their worth, they are praised. How many societies and how many religions praise women? But yet the Lord does. The women have an inherent dignity being made in the image of God as well as men. But what the world has done is that it has wanted to mandate that women find their predominant life outside of the home. The world says, women, leave the raising of your children to others. Let the management of your home fall apart if need be. Go outside and serve an employer just like your husband because you're no different from him. And that must be put away. And that is false. They will say the home is unimportant, but the world and the things of the world, now that has value, right? But what happens to your children? But what happens to the, the domestic life of the home is unimportant. And that's all a lie. Do not be deceived, ladies. Don't be like Eve. You must follow the word of God and not the tempter. You must be keepers at home. This is part of your holiness, to believe that the blessing comes from God's ways here. Consider the ways of industry of the Proverbs 31 woman. I think it's encouraging. She cares for the family's clothing in verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. There, I think there's something there in that, even that idea. She desires these things. She doesn't find them obnoxious to her. She actually delights in these things, doesn't she? These things are her delight. And similarly in verses 21 and 22, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. And you see here the lie, right, of the world, that a woman like this is nothing more than a a tool for a man to oppress. But this woman has a strength about her, doesn't she? She's not afraid of the snow. She has strength in her soul. She does things that are hard and difficult. There is no shame in being this woman. She supplements the income of her family through her industry. Verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it. See, she sells, and you think of Lydia in this, right? It's almost like a description of her. And delivereth girdles unto the merchant. And so couples, just as FYI, right? Though the man is the primary provider, a wife can supplement the income of the home when it helps the the family, and she's not neglecting her duties to the home. In verses 14 and 15 of Proverbs uh, uh, 31, we find her management of the home in other ways. She um, manages the food. She is like the merchant's ship. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. I suppose this probably would have been covered in home economics, so I'll cover it now. Um, Ladies with our fast food culture resolved to set home-cooked meals on the table, right? 
One of the things is that this will actually make your husband's provision go much further. It's actually kind of interesting that I've spoken to many couples, like the women's labor because she neglects her domestic duty, almost all her income, especially after taxes and everything else, tends to go to childcare and buying food outside the home, and there's really nothing left anyway. What was the point of that when she could have actually worked in the home, supplied the things that are most needful to children and home, and not have to work for someone else? I'll also say outside food is also expensive and unhealthy, and as your family grows, I think of us having six uh, uh, people in our house, right? If we go to the fast food restaurant, that's an easy $60. That's a lot of money. At least it is for me. And you will make sure that your husband's provision goes much further. And I, I will just put this, this in here. You know the saying, um, I don't know if it was Benjamin Franklin, he said a dollar saved is a dollar earned. That's actually false. Like a dollar saved is more like a dollar 25 earned because of taxes and everything else, Right? So you save money for your household. You do these domestic duties and your family will prosper. Your work for the household has a tremendous impact on the bottom line. And so gain skill as the Proverbs 31 woman does in managing the household affairs. Even consider her agency in verse 16. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. Now, if any man tells you that the patriarchy of the Bible is oppressive, maybe point them to this right? The patriarchy of the Bible is in no ways oppressive. It is in many ways very liberating. Here it is. Under her husband's headship, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. Why is it, though, that she can do this, even though she's under her husband's headship? It's because the heart of her husband safely trusts her, and they are a team together. They know the plan. They know the same page. They're on the same page. They, he says, well, uh, if you would like to go and do something like this, so here's the budget in the home, go and do it. And he safely trusts her. This is where the wife's agency and management of the home comes from, her husband trusting her. She's so industrious, she even has a vineyard planted. It's incredible. She's diligent. Even uh, with these outside matters, though, her home is ultimately cared for. Verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Right? All those other things don't come at the expense of her home. The children are raised. They are tended to. They are nurtured. They are cared for. Why? Because she is not idle. There are lots of ways to be idle. I've already told, spoken to the men on some of these things. But you are just as ensnared by several of the things that pull us towards idleness. Again, today we are dealing with these things. And these things are really obnoxious brethren, whether you're male or female. These things, you will start off on, uh, on one video, maybe it's even something edifying, and an hour will go by in the blink of an eye, and you have no idea where all that time went, when you could be industrious in the home, and you could be providing well for your family, you could be raising the children, and so on and so forth. And these are the things that she is renowned for, renowned for in the church, right? Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Such women are worthy of such praise, aren't they? And it's interesting, this whole chapter is full of praise for her. Um, Proverbs 31 says that their worth is far above rubies. And so, in all those things, she is a most blessed woman. 
Now, I also want to put this here, and you see some of this in the Proverbs 31 woman, that though her husband is the chief executive, right, the wife is in her rights under him to be the manager of the home. Absolutely so. Just as it would be in a corporation, men, that you work for. You probably have uh, somebody above you, but maybe you are also called to be a manager of those things under you, your responsibilities, under the oversight and guidance of your leaders. Consider 1 Timothy 5.14. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children. Listen to these words. Guide the house. Guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. The wives are not, in other words, servants. They are managers under their husband's authority. Women can do a phenomenal job managing and running a household very well. They can keep finances quite well. Most that I've met can. They can buy and sell. They can tend to their garden. They can manage the schooling of the children, the raising of it. My wife, she raised uh, um, um, uh, the children up to the point of high school by teaching them in a home. They can help in the maintenance of the home as well, all under the oversight of the husband. They are not servants, though. They are managers who guide the house. This also means spiritually and morally, ladies. Um, A large aspect, and we'll talk about this with child uh, raising as we get to children and and raising the family in, uh, in Christ. So much of the raising of the children spiritually and morally will be on your shoulders, ladies. So much so, if the husband is away for eight plus hours a day, who is it that they are learning godliness from? Who is it that they must say, I will imitate her as she imitates Christ? You are the pattern, ladies, and you must not outsource that. You must not give that up. Imagine your child being raised by others, right, in that way. Who do you want them to imprint on? You want to be, and excuse the analogy, like the mother duck, that the ducklings are patterning themselves on and following. Right. This is why your holiness is so vital and important. Your children must see in you Christ because they are going to learn so much of godliness from your temperament, how you deal with difficulties, how you lead them to the Lord, how it is that you ask for forgiveness from them and from uh, your husband and he asks from you as well, of course, vice versa. They're going to learn how to deal with adversaries They're going to learn from you when times are tough. I still trust in the Lord. I'm going to learn that there's no blessing in sin and we must follow God. You are the one who is going to impart most of that, friends, ladies. And that's why your role has such value in raising the children. I already mentioned Timothy and Augustine's mothers. You must be women of the same. Yes, your husband will lead in family worship when he is at home, but throughout the day, Christ is patterned by you. And so I would say, ladies, do what you must to be intimately involved with your children. Don't give that up to anyone else. In so many ways, and I don't want to sound Arminian about this, of course, but the Lord uses means. He's going to use the means of godly mothers in such a profound way for generations to come from you. Because it's almost a domino effect, right? This is what the Lord says. He, he has mercy on thousands of generations that love him and keep his commandments. And it, we all see the opposite. Three or four generations of them that hate me, right? There's a domino effect there. And I can tell you from experience, having now an 18 and 17-year-old, 18 year, years with your child will go by in the blink of an eye. 
you only have so long to impart the things of God to them, to mold and affect their character, to guide them and lead them to the way everlasting. Even if they reject the Lord, as Augustine did during that time in which you are raising them, there will be seeds planted there that the Lord will water one day and he will bring to mind how a mother loved me and cared for me and wept for my soul as Augustine's mother did. How she always had the words of life on her tongue when I sinned and said, go to Christ, beloved. These are the things that really matter. And you only have so long to impart these things before they will seek those things elsewhere and they will likely not seek them from godly counselors. Psalm 127 calls your children a gift from God. And will you send these gifts to others to raise or will you be there when they need you? whether they praise you for it in this life or not. And so children, I'll speak to you on the other side. If your mother and father have sacrificed the things of this world so that you can have a mom in the home always there for you and in this society that is structured around two incomes, that is a great sacrifice in so many ways. They could have a bigger house. They could have more cars or newer cars. They could have vacations like all their friends, but they have decided that mom will be there to raise you and not be raised by strangers. You need to bless them for that children. And then what your responsibility, we'll talk about children another time, is your responsibility is to care for them in their old age, isn't it? For all of the ways that they have sacrificed for them, your mother especially, Growing up in this society, your mother has probably endured the ridicule of the world. She has likely had the scorn of her friends and they look down on her for the neighborhood she lives in when they all went to the same school and you guys are living in a different zip code because you have decided that mother's responsibility is to care for the children. For all of that, remember them in their old age. Honor them. And husbands and children, remember what you must do in view of the woman of the home. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. So resolve to praise such women, beloved. Well, mothers, home economics may be dead in our nation, but I would say to you, teach your daughters how to manage their home at a young age. Not just how to manage the nuts and bolts of a household, but also how to manage it spiritually under their husband's leadership. Teach them the inestimable value in fearing the Lord as a godly woman. Because what does Proverbs 31 says? A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And she will be one whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so godly women, press on if you are a wife whose husband and children don't praise you. Because your praise is ultimately from God and not for men. And that's who you must seek, always. That goes for all of us. Seek the praise of God. Live your lives to the glory of God. And may God be pleased to bless us in these ways. Amen. May the Lord keep us and bless our marriages in this congregation. Please rise for prayer, if able. Our God and Father, we thank you for the influence that so many of the women have been here in their homes. As godly wives, those who are called to be wives, have exerted such a tremendous influence on children and the household. 
Would you bless them for it? Would they see that their praise comes from God? Would you help them press on? In so many ways, they are undervalued and unloved for their uh, sacrifices. And so, Father, instead of having them cast their eyes in discouragement on the things of the world and the ways of the world, would you have them focus their attention and affections on a holy walk before God? We pray, Father, as well, that husbands and children would rise up and bless those who have served their home in this way. And Father, may you be near all the women that they would, whether they are single or married, that their ultimate and first care and concern would be to have a holy walk that becometh the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray for them all. May you uphold them and keep them, especially in these days of adversity. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.